Welcome to I'd Rather Be Scripting. Um, I'm Carrie, and uh, Ash is on the line. Hi, hey, Ash. Hey. How's things going? Going good, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because, like, right before we started recording, um, we you you said we started talking about how we both uh, went ahead and installed Big Sur on our Macs, mm-hmm. even though it's just re- been released. And then I was like, yeah, maybe we don't talk about it because I don't have much to say about it. <laughs> And then I started describing all of the things I don't have to say about it, which turned into the whole conversation. <laughs> it turns out there's a lot going on under the hood with Mac OS Big Sur. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, for me, like I, I, like I was saying a second ago, I just kind of like it when people come in and change stuff up sometimes. Like I know that that's not the usual reaction from a lot of folks, especially <laughs> you change something and then Twitter kind of blows up about it in and out. Oh God, yes. But I don't know. For me, like looks like border radius on all the windows is more rounded. I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it kind of feels fresh, you know? Um, mm-hmm. you know I, I think Safari looks really cool uh, in this new version of the OS. So I know this isn't super deep analysis, but I don't know. I'm kind of excited about it. It's just a little bit fresh. It feels a lot like, um, because right now I have my my big monitor up here. I have my iPad Pro sitting right below it. And I'm looking at the border radius on the two of these screens. And I think it might be like, if it's not one-to-one pixel perfect, it's pretty close as to the rounded corners on the iPad screen and the windows. So it almost feels like a blown up. I mean, there's differences in terms of the UI, but it almost feels like that's the aesthetic that they're going for is everything that has rounded corners should have the same radius, regardless of where it's at. Um, so it, I, I, for until now, I just now drew that con- made that leap of like, Oh, wait a second. That's where those, how, how familiar those corners actually look. Oh, you know what? And now you've got <laughs> you have me <laughs> holding my iPad Pro up against my Mac screen here to see. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're yeah, you're right. In sort of like the feel of it, anyways, feels a lot mm-hmm. closer to what the iPad's been. Huh? I wonder if that means anything. You know, they were I... um, didn't they have like that thing where uh, someone uploaded some sort of yes. animation that made it look like this was there was going to be some touch screens for Macs coming out and then that got taken down very quickly. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I wonder if there's something there. It's possible. And I mean, I wouldn't be like, uh, I certainly wouldn't be against it. I mean, I use, um, I mean, you kind of have it even a little bit with sidecar, although you have to do it with the pencil, but um, there's definitely times when it's like, I have found myself reaching for the screen and it's like, nope, can't do that. And I just left the smudgy fingerprint trail, but uh, <laughs> it does make you wonder. I mean, everything kind of is starting to look at it and saying, screaming, I'm touchable. Um, like I'm looking at Safari and all the icons are like a little bit bigger. There's more space around them. Um, and maybe not. I know, I think Apple keeps insisting that they're not building a touchscreen Mac, but I don't know if I actually believe them or not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I I keep trying to imagine why I would use a touchscreen on a laptop and I'm sure there's great reasons for it, but at the same time, like, I guess I've never really been clamoring for it so much. I guess like the, you know, same as you mentioned, like occasionally when I'm using sidecar, I'll accidentally like reach down and try to touch something just because it happens to be on my iPad. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even, the funny thing is like, I've done that so many times 
using sidecar, I can't remember. So if it's if your iPad is in sidecar mode, can you touch the screen and, and things happen or no? Mm, as far as I know, you can't. I've always had to switch over to the pencil, and it's always been like this little stark realization of, oh, yeah, I can't tap that to do anything. Uh, Except for okay. some of the modifier keys. I think there are, like, you can press and, like, say, do this with command or whatever. But, like, on the screen, at least now I'm, I, I would have to try it again to be double sure. But I'm pretty sure that's the way it works is that you have to have the pencil to actually move the mouse cursor around. Okay. But it just, I don't know, it feels like, or maybe it feels like they're not maybe going, like... Maybe I'm parsing too many semantics or too too many words here. Like they've ne- they they're saying we'll never build a touchscreen MacBook, but now with Apple Silicon, you have iPads and MacBooks that are pretty close to each other. Maybe just drop the word laptop and switch it with tablet and MacBook tablet. Is that like parsing reading too much of you know into the word laptop? I don't know. Yeah, that yeah. So you're saying like just kind of a slightly. It's basically they're they're sort of. It's a little bit of a word game, mm-hmm. but you could end up with something that is very similar. And actually, when I think about it, like um, what's the the heavier keyboard that they released earlier this year? Is a for the iPad? I can't remember. Uh, Magic Keyboard or something like that. I can't remember what it's called exactly. Yeah, I have one of those, and uh, you know when when you have it has the trackpad on it and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when when you're in that mode, I, I tend to like to have that keyboard just for when I'm I want to focus on writing, right? Right. Uh, whatever it is, like long form writing or something. Well, it's great because uh, I tend to on iPad. I have this app called um, IA Writer, and uh, you can go into that, and it you know it's a great all the great things about the iPad, right? Because you're you're in a full screen. You're just typing. You've got an actual keyboard now that you can type into, and you know it's a it's a great way to sort of step away from, mm-hmm. you know, your normal your normal Mac where a thousand things are going on because you know you're a developer and you're this that and the other, uh, you know, and you've got a gajillion windows open and lots is happening. Well, sometimes it's great just to step away and write something, and so uh, having that keyboard is fantastic, but. When you do have it and you've got a trackpad, it's it's interesting how it just it really sort of turns into this sort of it's not quite an iPad anymore, it's not quite a laptop, but it's somewhere in the middle. Uh huh. Yeah, and I've I don't have that uh, keyboard yet. I've been looking at maybe grabbing one, but it's like uh, my iPad Pro is a couple generations old, so it's like maybe it's worth waiting until the next iPad Pro is is announced and released. Before I jump on board on that train, but now it's really got me curious of, is there a, a space where, um, because if there's one big thing that, I mean, I love my iPad Pro, I could almost, uh, for personal uh, hobbies and projects, I could almost just go pure iPad. If it weren't for the fact of being, of missing just a few of those developery things. Um, and it's like a MacBook, might give you know might give that stuff so if you had like a a hybrid almost of it's tablet most of the time but it can turn into something a little bit more um laptop like when you need it like because if i'm writing i'm at a desk or something like that so the keyboard makes perfect sense there or what have you but i don't always need a keyboard most of the time i'm just using my fingers so i don't know it could be really interesting to see if they go that direction at all who knows it's apple they uh they they happily go their own directions Hmm. I'm trying to imagine what that would be like as a web developer. 
And I have a I have a, <laughs> a friend who has he's a senior engineer at a small company. He's been you know since the pandemic started and traveling around and and working as an engineer, uh, and uh, he's also a photographer. So he shoots on the same types of cameras that you and I do, like the the Fujifilm X series. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know I got him really excited about the facts, like you know Lightroom on the iPad, fantastic. Photoshop on the iPad, lots of fun, really cool stuff that you can do there. And, you know, between the photography stuff and, you know, I guess just a handful of other things like reading and those kind of things that he's starting to do more and more on the iPad only, he got to wondering more about like, well, as a web developer, what what can I actually yeah. get done here on the iPad? And, it, you know, I've always found that to be a tantalizing prospect. I think, you know, years ago when I was starting to learn uh, processing, for example, I was trying mm-hmm. to find anything I could do to see if there anyone was even trying to approximate like an IDE that would like run processing on the iPad. This is way before iPad Pros even. Uh, and the thing is, you, you could find some things like that where you, you get in, you type a little bit of uh, JavaScript and it'll execute, you know, some circles moving around on on a canvas or whatever it is that you made. It's nice when it's pretty self-contained, like processing, for example, mm-hmm. can be, you know, uh, but at the same time, let's say you're you're building like a full stack React and, and Node application. Is that ever going to be good on something like an iPad? Like given the thousand windows you need to have open to get the job done? I know. That I don't know. Um, there is an app that tries awful hard to make some of that a reality. It's called PlayJS. Um, and that's one of the things that has me really kind of wishing I had the the Magic Keyboard um, because it feels like it would go hand in hand. It has its own little windowing environment. It um, is a full node setup, so you can do all the requires and the imports that you would normally do. Um, it can do um, a GitHub integration and all the like. So it's it's tantalizingly close, like like a centimeter away from being absolutely perfect. Um, I think right now the only the only thing that gets in its way is, and I don't know about you when you when it comes to your React projects, but I tend to use um, some shell scripting in my um, package JSON file. So like I'll have clean and it's just like RM this directory or there's a couple of steps in here that does this, that, the other, but it's with a shell command and then it goes and runs the the, pa- the process. Um, and so PlayJS, because Apple, um, doesn't support that, um, which means like sometimes some of the things that are around React don't work. Um, and so that kind of you know it brings you back to reality a little bit but it, it, it is like it is so close it's that it's kind of um crazy and they keep improving it over and over and over uh, um, all the time um so i i revisit it every few months and i was like oh this is really cool and if it would there's just a couple things lacking on it that that hasn't taken uh, brought me fully into its world yet but it's pretty close yeah, so like as you're saying that, I'm I looked it up on the on the app store. This looks really cool. Yeah, uh, and I can imagine if you do have the keyboard. So here's the thing: like their first screenshot, if I can just describe it, uh, up in the 
it's it they're basically three panes on the on the iPad screen. So the top left is like, you know, kind of a elongated rectangle, horizontal rectangle is your text editor essentially, and it has what appears to be kind of like an integrated terminal towards the bottom of that. And then uh completing the, you know, the top half of the screen is also like a previewer. So in this case, they're previewing like a, a Vue.js app, but it's actually like a, a web view, so you can see what it is you're building. And then the bottom half is all keyboard. Well, that's on the screen, of course. So like if you if you actually have the magic keyboard, then y- you get all the screen dedicated to more of the stuff you're working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this looks super cool, and I'm trying to fight the urge to just download <laughs> it and start playing with it right now, but I, I'll wait until we're done talking. Well, if you do, um, we'll have to go over an episode and actually just see see what we all think about it. It's it's I, I just launched it on my iPad, and it has changed since the last time I opened it, and it looks like it's got some really nice improvements. Um, but yeah, it's... It, for me, like, um, of course, being JavaScript uh, and React developers, um, that's been kind of almost my holy grail is a Node environment that I can actually work with. I think for some of the other uh, languages, like there are full-on Python IDEs and stuff um, that you could use. So for some developers, maybe you're kind of almost already there. Um, but it's 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 so close. And so I don't know, like, you know, does this a direction or are... are is this a direction Apple would be willing to go or are we like um, not necessarily unicorns, but are, you know, is it such a niche world where you need the power to be able to develop also be able to be able to do creative things in an iPad form factor? Is that just, you know, is the Venn diagram of that intersection so small that it's not worth it? I don't know, but it would be really, really nice to just be able to take my iPad wherever I go and I can have a development environment, I can have a drawing environment, I can have a music production environment. And when I want a keyboard, I can have a keyboard, but I don't always have to have that. Yeah, yeah. And something tells me someone is saying, well, you get all that with a Surface Book Pro on Windows. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I wouldn't know, but yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's not not that niche, right? Like there's like gotta be at least a gajillion web developers in the world. And I don't know, I mean, it seems like some of them would have an iPad and and want that convenience. I mean, I've I've certainly found, for example, that having something like the Prompt app uh, is Mm -hmm. occasionally a lifesaver when you need to just jump in and SSH into a server and and do something quick. it's also just a super fun toy. Uh, I've I've had, you know, nights where I'll just leave my Mac on in my home office and then walk to the other end of the apartment uh, and, you know, still be able to SSH into my Mac and do some other stuff. Uh, now, would I don't know how necessary that is in that situation, but there are other times where it's just really nice to have something like that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, when I have like a, a, um, I have my Raspberry 2 or Raspberry Pi 2 around. So I'll, I'll SSH into that occasionally um, as well. And it's like it's pretty, pretty cool that you can um, do that. Um, it also turns out not to make this a Mac only conversation or an iOS only conversation. Um, it, it turns out there are a couple of shell terminals on the App Store that Apple finally let through question mark whether or not they'll let them stay um but it's it's one step further than that it's a local shell on your machine not connecting anywhere else 
Um, so there's this one called ISH shell and don't bother searching for just ISH. You have to search for the whole thing. <laughs> okay. um, otherwise you won't come up with it. Um, ISH shell has been in test flight for like forever because of the restrictions around being able to run executable code and all the like that got approved. Um, and I believe there's another one called a shell, um, a dash shell. Yes. Um, which is along the same kind of lines. And so I've got them installed. I haven't played with them very much, but um, maybe things, um, maybe maybe there are opportunities there to uh, to bring a shell shell like environment just to the machine itself, um, which which I find really intriguing. Um, the weird thing is, is because Apple is Apple, um, they have to essentially emulate uh, an Intel machine or you know something that can run Linux. And so both of these are essentially lightweight emulators running a version of Linux to give you that shell experience. So you're not running the native iOS or macOS shell, but you mm. are running Bash and the like um, in an emulated environment. But interestingly, ISH does give you access to, like you can mount your files folder. So there's there's potential for some interesting workflows there. And if you're used to shell scripting, like mount my files folder as a volume and then run some shell scripts on my iPad against that. Um, so there's some really cool possibilities there. Well, this is super cool. I'm like looking at both of these now and it's, it's interesting to even see the comments on the app store, which like the first one is like surprised Apple even, uh, even signed this application. <laughs> right. It is kind of bizarre. And so I, I, there is still a bit, you know, where I'm thinking Apple is going to shut this down, you know, soon and you know who knows you know how long these will actually survive on the flip side i'd kind of like to think that maybe apple is being uh accepting that there are those of us who actually do want to utilize these kinds of tools and making it easier whether or not you know that's wishful thinking on my part we'll see <laughs> so can have you tried installing node through one of these apps can you do that uh, yes. And, um, the, uh, I tried it with, um, ISH, if I remember right. Um, and it did install, um, but, um, I haven't actually gone through a lot of, um, like testing on it to see how well it works given that it's emulated. And of course, Apple says you can't use JIT, uh, the just in time interpreter or the just in time compilation. Something tells me it's not going to be fast, <laughs> um, but you know it might still be useful for you know things in a pinch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've currently got it installing Node.js as we speak, and it's going off and doing its thing. It looks like it's Node 10, um, and if I run Node now, it takes it a second to start, but there it started. One plus one equals two. Yeah, it works. That's really cool. <laughs> I've been waiting on that for so long. Uh, I guess a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people have, but I, you know, at some point, I don't know, I guess waiting is the wrong word. I just assumed it would never happen. And I haven't, I haven't seen anything about this yet. So I'm definitely going to be checking these ones out as well. Yeah, they, um, again, we'll see how long um, Apple actually lets them uh, stay around. But if Apple would, it's like, this is, there, there are so many benefits. It's like, 
it's, I mean, I, I get being security conscious and all of this stuff. And, um, you know, you should be able to trust apps that you install on your iPads and things and the like. But some of us who want to, who know what we're doing, want to go that next step further, it's it's nice having the the, the capability anyway. Yeah, totally. Uh, now I've got to go back and start remembering why I wanted all of this stuff in the first place. Because I know that there was a time where I had ideas about things I wanted to do with the stuff if I could only do it on on my iPad. Uh, and of course, <laughs> now, now <I'm, laughs> those ideas are not immediately coming back to me. But I think, you know, well, I guess one of the things that you wouldn't be able to do with this kind of stuff, though, is just like system automation. Because yeah. it can't reach outside it got the of the sandbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's there, there there are definitely limitations here, um, but uh, just did the mere fact that like I can mount my files folder or you know my local iPad files into this. I haven't done that yet, but um, it's supposed to be an option. Is like that even alone would say now you could get files on your machine, run scripts against them. Um, Maybe not as fast as you could on a regular machine because having to go through another layer of emulation just because you can't run the native shell on iOS is kind of absurd. But <laughs> on the flip side, it's it's also pretty cool that Apple has finally let a few developers do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, at some point, it just would be really, really nice to see some sort of si system level scripting language yes. for iOS. Because shortcuts are never going to be it for me. Like nope. the, I, it's nice that they, for a lot of people that they started there, uh, and that that's just incredibly accessible to a much wider range of people than say, you know, learn some Apple script or you know learn some JavaScript in order to automate anything. You know, a lot most normal users will never do that. But at the same time, you know, anytime I've tried to create a, a what do they call them now? Not short. Do they call them shortcuts still? The drag and drop. I think they're thing. still called shortcuts. Okay, Siri shortcuts maybe or something like that. But anyways, those. Uh, any, anytime I ever make those, I find that they're they quickly get out of sort of one. A lot of times they'll stop working over time for yes. reasons that are unclear to me. Uh, and then you know it, they're tough to maintain. So what I'll end up with, I, and maybe this is just I'm not a great shortcut maker. But a lot of times I'll have something that's like, oh, okay, under these circumstances, you know, send me a notification so I can open up my iPhone and trigger a workflow. Because unfortunately, what I want is just my iPhone to do the workflow, but you can't make it right. trigger trigger <laughs> work, potentially destructive work or whatever it is without user being involved. So, okay, fine. So what will happen is I'm getting all these notifications and then at some point it's like notifications for things that are sort of half working or don't work anymore or I actually, it's it's not the right circumstance. And, I, you know, I, I just find it really tedious to try to do the sort of no-code drag and drop thing in those situations. And I end mm -hmm. up kind of just going numb to the whole thing. <laughs> so for a while I felt like I had this brilliant sort of setup with a handful of uh, really... Um, I thought well-considered shortcuts, and then what it turned into was a graveyard of <laughs> notifications <laughs> sitting on my phone, absolutely every time. And it's just like, oh, more no more notifications from shortcuts. So I eventually just went through and finally deleted all of them. I'm like, you know, I'll I'll, I'll wait until they give me some JavaScript, which may never happen. Right. Oh, boy, wouldn't that be nice, though? Yeah, it's the same. I've tried a few things with shortcuts, too. I had a shortcut for a while that would 
that I could just really quickly and easily use to toggle off some of my smart um, outlets. So um, with HomeKit and and uh, I believe the one I have is a Wemo um, electrical plug, you can have Siri shortcuts or tell Siri to turn things on and off, um, which is really kind of cool. Um, so I have a shortcut that lets me toggle them and it's literally six actions. It goes and says, give me the state of the, d- the device. Should I, you know, if it's on, turn it off. If it's off, turn it on. You'd think there would be an easier way to, you know, actually turn it off. I actually had to do a little if else, if on, then turn off, if off, <laughs> then turn on rather than just say, flip the, you know, flip the boolean, flip the state from true to false. Um, and it worked for, it looked, worked really great for, um, pretty much all of iOS 13. And then iOS 14, um, I hopped onto the beta fairly early because even though I we keep telling everyone what else not to, you know, somehow mm-hmm. the urge bites and we put it on our devices. Um, and then that shortcut just became more and more unreliable to the point where it 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 no longer works unless it's run from within the shortcuts app. And so, which defeats the purpose because I had it right. on my uh, on on the home screen where it was literally wake up the device, touch it, you're done. And it just it'd sit there and spin forever. It would give no useful error messages, but it works fine in the shortcuts app. So I, you know, it's nothing changed with the shortcut, but things underpinning the system did. Um, so it's kind of, and I don't know why that is. And maybe if I recreated it, it would start working again. But it's like, eh, now um, I found maybe this was in iOS 13 and, and I missed it. But at least in iOS 14, you can add in some home shortcuts to your control um, center. And so now I can just swipe down, click a button and, and turn the device on and off. But if I wanted a complex workflow, I'd be out of luck, um, which is kind of frustrating. So it's a good idea in theory, especially if I could type um, the shortcut script in, but it just doesn't seem to actually work reliably enough for me to devote time to it. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And I, the, the whole home automation type things has been a little bit like, I hear people talking about this stuff and it all sounds really cool. But when I look around my house, I try to think of things that I would want to automate. And then, <laughs> and then I guess like, this is the part where like, if you've, you know, developed for any time at all, you, you start thinking about, well, <laughs> who's going to maintain all of this stuff when it breaks, yep. right? And then, mm-hmm. like, I I mean, I'm sure if it's if it's just a light, you know, hopefully we still have light switches anyways, so there's always a fallback. <laughs> but, like, I, I, you know, at some point, there's a part of me that just thinks, like, it might actually end up being a bigger time investment to to try to automate all of this stuff through you know fairly fast changing software at, you know mm-hmm. especially these kind of like automation things that are very high level for the end user to come in and do means that there's a high likelihood that some OS update or something else is going to swap out from under you at some point and now you've got a big mess of like things to go in and try to like troubleshoot and maintain potentially every year if not more yeah. Very, very true. Well, and it's like, I, I mean, um, this is it's true even on, on my MacBook where uh, a, an upgrade to Big Sur, I mean, at least uh, even on Windows, this is true um, to some extent of, you know, just up changing your OS can can kind of start having domino effects to where things fall 
fall apart. You have to reinstall and everything else. And at least if you are, you know, you're a developer, you can, or, or, or understand the technology, you can go, okay, well, this is why, here's how I need to fix it. For an end user, it has to be frustrating because suddenly their software stops working and how do I fix it? Um, and not that backwards compatibility is the end all be all, but sometimes it's like there are, there are times in my day when I'm longing for like the simplicity of a machine that, you know, it's not necessarily perfect, but it doesn't, and I like new things, don't get me wrong, but there is a part of my brain that says, give me some consistency over, you know, a few years where when I set things up, I know they will continue to work for a long time to come. And it seems like um, on Mac OS, it's definitely not true. On iOS, that's not always true. And even on Windows, you don't know, even though it's better in a lot of cases, it's not always true when you go from one version of Windows to the next. Yeah, that's how you, uh, you know, g- going down that that way of thinking. And I, I certainly resonate with that in a few different ways. But, you know, when I when I think about like folks that I've seen that have, have said similar things in the past, it, it it's often like, let's say, for example, like uh, one of my favorite examples of this is a print shop that uh, was a friend of mine in in southern japan and uh he owned a print shop small family-run business had been in business for a very long time he was like maybe the he you know the uh the heir uh is that the right word uh but like his he inherited the business from from Mm -hmm. his parents and um you know, I, I needed to get some business cards done. So, uh, and he also knew that I was a Mac nerd, right? So this was like back when I had my lunch tray, PowerBook G4 17 inch uh, in the mid 2000s. <laughs> and, uh, you know, where I lived, not a lot of people used Macs back then. Uh, you know, uh, you didn't walk around a lot of parts of Japan those days, uh, seeing people using Macs at all. So um, when, when people did sort of like gravitate towards that it was always like people who were like kind of into that sort of thing and so he knew i you know was a a big mac enthusiast and um since i needed business cards done he was like you know what i got something really cool i'd love to show you he's like you know i could of course just deliver these but why don't you come down to the shop and i thought okay cool I've, i've never seen a print shop in person anyway so this would be pretty neat to see so i go down uh it's just you know same city, but probably 30 minutes away. Take the train down, go into this place. And, you know, it's not a big shop, really, uh, compared to, you know, the amount of output that they did, but uh, mm-hmm. pretty pretty efficient sort of thing. But I go in, and he's like, check out this Mac. And, uh, you know, I will struggle to remember exactly which one it was, but I think this was one of the Macs that it may have been one of those sort of uh, G3 towers. Oh, uh-huh. that. Yeah, they were the ones that were kind of like uh, had the some part of like the candy color translucent plastic, you know, that was. Yeah, that was a Mac that I I never really got my hands on when it was, you know, um, actually out in the real world. But he still had one of these things running. And, um, you know, at this point, we're talking 2005, maybe 2006. uh, And uh, he was he was running on that thing uh mac os 9 so from from his point of view the whole thing was like what he wanted and you know kind of coming back to part of your point there was sometimes for certain operations like 
you don't really want like a a computer that is trying to keep up with the latest and greatest and is constantly changing you know uh to try to you know match the latest innovations you want sort of like this you know workhorse machine or an appliance and it's like it does the one thing and it's still going to be doing that next year and the year after that and so you know for him Mac OS 10, why do it? You know, uh, and that that was already five or six years into the Mac OS 10 history. But he was like, for this thing here, until this Mac breaks, you keep everything on Mac OS 9, and uh, you know, never have to think about whether this is going to work or not, or whether some sort of update is going to break it. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, for for my own part, it was just like a sort of nostalgia getting to right. get my hands back on an old version of classic Mac OS, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I've been tempted to do that before with like um, photography workflows. You know, uh-huh. like have you ever have you ever considered, for example, having a dedicated machine for something like photography or, or something else that you do? Yeah, the, there's been a few times where I thought about where even especially in like this latest round, because for whatever crazy reason, um, I don't know if it was Big Sur or it was the device or whatever. Who knows what? I'm not gonna fig. I'm not gonna try and figure out which it was. Um, but totally broke, um, the connection between my, my music, um, devices like my piano and everything, the software on the, on the computer. So like I would be hitting a key, it would say it's connected and no signal is coming through. And it's like, wait a second, this is bonkers. And I would spend like 20 minutes, um, over the, you know, the last couple of days, you know, just trying to get it work and it would suddenly work. And it's like, what did I do to make it work? And then, something along because it's, you know, recently updated to Big Sur. And so I'd have to approve some new kernel extension or whatever. And so I'd restart and now it stopped working again. And it's like, what in the world is broken? Why can't I figure this out? And nothing's telling me anything in the console. It, it Because it looks for all intents and purposes, it's connected. It's on. I can unplug it and reconnect it and everything sees it, but no signals are being sent. And, um, I finally just said, okay, well, you know, screw it. I'll go back to something else that I, that I, that I knew worked and it worked for a little while. And then next morning I, I go in and and see if it's, you know, still working and nope, it has died overnight in terms of it's no longer processing. So there is like, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, maybe a tiny Mac mini, um, just cause I, there's a part of me that, that has a hard time going, going to windows anymore, just cause I'm so used to Macs now, but maybe a little tiny Mac mini where I get all the stuff that I need for music production, um, put it on there, leave it on there. Don't do updates. Don't do anything. Get everything just the way I want it working stable. And then don't touch it again because <laughs> it's really, it clobbers your mood when you want to go and make music or photography or what have you. And then you realize now I have to spend the next 20 minutes to an hour trying to get something to work. (laughs) Um, And maybe succeeding. I I, I literally last night I was, you know, I unplugged all of my USB devices, reconnected them all in a new, new way thinking that, well, maybe, you know, maybe I've got a hub or, you know, something somewhere that has just totally blown up and it's, you know, confusing it. And that worked for most of the day. And then I, t- I um, earlier today, I turn on my Mac and every 10 seconds, there's like this system pause and Safari will stop and the keyboard will stop. And it's like, what in the world is going on? And is it Big Sur? 
I don't, you know, I haven't seen any, you know, reports like Big Sur is blowing up your Mac. So it's like no, something else is going on. And now I think I've tracked it down to a hard drive that in console it was saying this hard drive kept connecting and disconnecting and connecting and disconnecting. The frustrating thing is it's a new hard drive. It should not have this problem. It's a solid state drive. It's not pulling a lot of power. Unplug it and then suddenly the Mac is now perfectly happy. It's like no pauses, no whatever is going on. But I'm not confident that that will stay that way. Like, you know, tomorrow I may turn it on and go, nope, that wasn't it because now it's back. And so I don't know. There's there's something about all of that that's just has definitely made me think about, you know, if, you know, getting a machine and kind of freezing it <laughs> in one state to do the one thing that I need it to do um, is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Some of the stuff that you describe is sort of like, you know, if we had sat down and said, what if we took the worst parts of web development and introduced <laughs> that to music making? So like if you oh, God. <laughs> like the next time that you wanna, you know, play the piano, you need to troubleshoot dependencies for at least 20 minutes first. Yes. <laughs> I and that's that what it was doing. That's what I was literally doing is I was looking at this thing going, okay, am I missing a driver for the MIDI interface? No, because there are no drivers because it's a class compliant device. So no drivers for it. Um, it turns on. Yes. It's, you know, I have, there's this little tool out there, a really cool app called MIDI monitor. And it's, I mean, you shouldn't have to have it to verify that things are working, but mm -hmm. it's really cool. I mean, it shows you the stream of MIDI signals coming through and I, this device would turn on and Mac OS would say, Oh, I see you have a MIDI device. And I would say, it's got these ports and nothing would show up in this monitor. It's like nothing is getting sent. And you'd try turning one thing off and the other thing off and back on again and rebooting or what have you a million and one times. And the one time I got it to work, I do not know what I did. Like, I, I swear it was like, you know, a cosmic ray just magically bumped an electron the right direction and it started working um, because I can't duplicate that. <laughs> and it's like, are you kidding me? So I went to another a much older piece of hardware, oddly enough, um, rejiggered my uh, MIDI uh, set up and it's working ish. Like it still dropped out like after several hours, but that's better than what it was doing before. So we'll see. But yeah, it's like, that is every time I upgrade node or upgrade react when it comes to, to web de development, I'm like cringing because what else is going to break? <laughs> yeah. I sat down to, uh, I had a sort of, pair programming thing earlier today for one of our uh, Astoria, Astoria digital projects. And um, was talking to our uh, front end developer on, on the project that I'm working on right now. And uh, it'd been a little bit since I've pulled that project down. Uh, something I'd kickstarted or bootstrapped uh, in the summer, but I've kind of been busy with things for <laughs> the last month and a half or so. So starting to get back into it, pulled it down uh, before the meeting and, uh, you know, went in to do all the basic setup, right? So, um, mm -hmm. you know, NPM install. And then um, on the React side of the house, I guess, yeah, it's pretty simple. I do NPM install and then an NPM start, which puts you into development mode. It's a create Re mm -hmm. React app. So get halfway through the the whole thing and then just get tons and tons of terminal output that says essentially that s there are two instances of ES lint somewhere on your Mac. 
and they don't agree <laughs> with which one is the the source of truth and so <laughs> i don't know where these things are i mean like i it's i wouldn't be surprised if i have something stored fairly high up at my in my user directory that's like my own uh-huh. standard eslint defaults but theoretically like i would hope that a local repo would always override that so i didn't know if this was the problem or not but either way uh, you know the the terminal output had some fairly helpful things to to walk through but it was like your standard delete package lock.json <laughs> delete the <laughs> node modules <laughs> reinstall and um, oh no the you know the first time i tried it <laughs> this is this is really ridiculous so the first time i tried it it didn't work and so i tried to you know cuz i was like okay great i'm going to delete the package lock.json great that that's always a problem causer anyways and then uh, delete the node modules and I'll reinstall. I know this is usually a good idea. Well, I did that and then hit, you know, npm start, ran npm start again. <laughs> and the same error came back through. And I'm really scratching my head here because I'm like, well, I feel like I should have gotten at least a different error. Right. Well, this was then just like stupidity on my side because what I realized I had done was I was in the wrong directory. I wasn't in the, <laughs> I wasn't in the React directory. I was in the server directory. So it's no. like, well, done these things are you know you can you can always step back if you need to on this kind of stuff anyways but now I go into you know the react and anyways like this is the kind of stuff where it's like okay all i'm trying to do is sit down and, and chat something out with our front end developer on the project right and now i'm dependency hell for you know 20 minutes probably not even that long and it wasn't like the the lowest circle of hell one can be in with this kind of stuff but it's just kind of like beside the point right like yeah. it is all this mental energy to think through this silly thing when what we're really trying to do is solve some sort of you know something on the front end that's that's where we want to be spending our energy mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and of course being technology being what it is and web development being what it is it's kind of hard to just lock down a machine and say no more updates um, forever because you've got security and all this other stuff that you have to deal with. But still, sometimes I really feel for um, the mental burden we put on front-end developers. And, and I suppose maybe it's true on the back-end. It's been a long time since I've done back-end development. Um, w- uh, but I know a- enough of, uh, in terms of, uh, of, the, of my day job, in terms of teams working on C++ that, you know, upgrading to new versions of C++ is a pain in the rear too. So it's, it's not solely to JavaScript, but it seems like we've, we've managed to take a lot of these, these painful threads and amplify them (laughs) to where every time you start your project, you're going, I hope it starts this time. And, you know, (laughs) something else on my machine, perhaps completely unrelated, hasn't gone in here and borked the whole setup. (laughs) So the one thing I haven't done since I updated to Big Sur is um, there's a pending uh, <laughs> there's a pending Xcode update sitting in the App Store right now, <laughs> and it'll occasionally, uh, you know, seems like so far like once a day it's like giving me that notification. Yes. It's like you want to update this. And you look at it and I'm like, nope. No, there's never a good time to do that, right? Like the best no. case scenario is like you remember to do it before you go to bed or something, because otherwise, like you're gonna be um it's it's gonna be like a 12 gigabyte download. We all know that. But then it's like all the other stuff that happens once you download it, it just seems to take a long time. And 
So uh, I know that's important because there's some command line tools baked within that are probably mm -hmm. important to, to make sure I have. Xcode's less of a factor for me, but it's always the command line tools that, that I, I need access to. So I've got to make that happen at some point, but um, it's they always give you the reminder like right when you're starting your work session and it's like, that's yeah, exactly like, when I oh. don't. Right, yeah, I, I don't want to... I don't want to be downloading 12 gigabytes. I don't want to wait the, I don't know, the 30 minutes it takes to verify that it's, it's, it's a valid package. And what's, what frustrates me is, um, I did do actually try to get Xcode installed. So I went through the big Sur. it was over the, um, it was end of day on Friday and it's like, okay, you know, I'm not using this anymore. Let it do all of its updates. So Xcode is busy installing, I come back to it sometime later and says Xcode failed to install. And it's like, ah. so I don't know why it failed to install, but it's like, then I'm into doing other things. And it's like, you know what? You know, I'm troubleshooting my music setup. It's like, I'm not installing Xcode right now. <laughs> so you, even when you try to do the right thing, sometimes Xcode just goes and says, no, 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 we're not going to make that happen. Mm. Well, I hope after... <laughs> all of this talk that I'll actually remember tonight before I go to bed to, to, to get that going. I mean, I haven't, luckily it's on, this is just on my, my home Mac. So the stakes are lower. I haven't updated um, on my work Mac yet. I think I will at some point, but uh, you know, that's one of those things where again, the, the dependency stack there is enough that I'm just kind of like, I don't want to, I don't want to rock, rock the boat just yet. Uh, maybe in the next few weeks. Yeah. There, I, there's a, um, like, I know when we do give presentations and stuff, we're talking about like the demo gods and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. making them happy so that our presentation goes well. I swear there's a front end development God out there somewhere that, that we have all ticked off and he's decided that this is the way to make our lives um, painful is dependency management and it's like I, whomever comes up with the right way you know to figure you know to appease this god you know more power to them but it's like I, I always cringe just a little bit when I'm doing an install or an upgrade or whatever it's like okay what am I going to break <laughs> yeah but. Well, I think that, you know, um, <laughs> I'm looking at the list of stuff that we had to talk about. We haven't actually touched on anything that we Any had to talk about yet, yet but we maybe, we close, save that. But... maybe we save it for the next time. Um, I was thinking about like, you know, uh, before before we call an end to this first time around, um, do we have any like just non-tech stuff going on you want to talk about for about five minutes? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh... Definitely. How about, yeah, I could come up with a few things. How about you? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure why I asked that question, actually. But uh, I, I think that I, you know, I spent a long time yesterday just kind of like editing photos and I've, I've kind of had like photography on the brain again. Um, well, it's never off the brain, but it's very <laughs> much on the brain this weekend. Yeah, I've been, I think it's like for me, um, somehow the the change of seasons and now having a, a home um a place in maryland where we actually have a yard and green space and can go outside and look and i mean half the property is literally forest so fall is like something else when you look at the trees and see all the colors changing and it's like mm, that's that's really making the, the the desire to get out and shoot more a thing <laughs> um and then of course then it comes in and gets cold all in a hurry but 
Um, yeah, photography has definitely been on the brain, um, trying to um, figure out a, a good way of making that a, a recurring thing in my week rather than just, you know, the every once in a while thing. Yeah, I think it's interesting how how many people who shoot photos mention that as as being an issue. I, I've I've talked. I don't know. I feel like a, a number of people I've talked to about photography in the recent past all sort of mentioned the same thing. And uh, I was out. Uh, was that last Sunday? So the Astoria Mutual Aid Network uh, had um, a a socially distanced picnic out in Astoria Park mm-hmm. here here in Queens and. Um, it's, it's interesting cause this is like one of, it's a group that the volunteer group of developers, Astoria digital that I work with, like we've, we've been, um, creating app or code or website or what have you for them since, since March. And, uh, most of these people I've never met in real life, even though they probably live, all live within a mile of where, you know, my apartment, because, uh-huh. you know, the whole reason we're doing a lot of this stuff is to try to help people get through the pandemic. So anyways, I, I, you know, we haven't, even the picnic itself, I was sort of like in two minds about, we, we've been pretty, pretty careful about like going, not going out too much, uh, right. really weren't going out at all until just a month or so ago. But we thought, well, the picnic could be good, and if anyone's going to do this right, it's going to be this group uh, who, you know, it's it's really important, you know, that I think, you know, volunteers for the community were setting a good example and all that kind of thing. So, right. yeah, we went out there, and uh, I ran into someone who was uh, shooting on a uh, Fuji X-T3. This is the same camera I have. <laughs> Lovely so, camera. Yeah, I, I walked up, and I was not too close, of course, but I, was, I looked, and I'm <laughs> like, well, that looks... That looks awfully familiar. So it's us, uh, you know, what are you doing here? And she was like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to get in the habit of shooting more. And, um, you know, it's just kind of just trying to remember to to get the camera out. And it, it's funny because I, I don't know what makes it different for me, but I, I feel like most of the time, like having my camera with me is usually not an issue. Like um, so like if I'm, let's say, for example, I go to that picnic there's no way I'm not going to have my camera with me almost <laughs> unless I just happen to have my hands full with too many other things. But, uh, right. Yeah. I, I wonder like, what's a, I wonder how people can make it easier for themselves just to make sure that they, they take it with them, you know, like. Yeah, I don't know. Um, one of the things that I've considered and, and, you know, maybe this is a symptom of what it, what, what's it called? Um, gear acquisition syndrome. Um, but one thing is definitely like um, I don't I don't yet have a small prime lens that I can just slap on there and have a light system that can go anywhere. Um, I've got two zoom lenses, um, and both of which are amazing, but they do add a little bit of weight and that you know extra mental load in terms of you know what's you know what's the right focal length and am I, you know, all the, you know, all the stuff that comes with it when you're trying to, which is good from one, when you're, you know, intentionally trying to create a specific look and feel and all the like. Um, so that's one thing that has maybe kind of occurred to me is like, you know, for those times when I just want to take something, I don't know exactly what I might see during the day, but I, you know, something that's good, you know, we'll, we'll cover the scenarios, you know, making it possible to have that with me. I think the other weird thing is, um, as much as I love my Fuji, um, there is this weird 
um, merging isn't quite the right word, but I have my phone with me all the time. So inevitably, like if I'm out and about, my phone is always there um, and it has a decent camera. So sometimes that becomes the default. So it's not like I'm not necessarily making pictures, but I may not always be making it with the camera I would normally choose, if that makes any sense. Um, So especially like family gatherings or the like where you know, I will do my very best to make sure that I have my camera with me. But sometimes it's like, this is just, I don't know if it's startup time or if it's a difference in the mental load, uh, you know, with an iPhone, you just point it, click it and it's done. And I, you know, I don't know what it is, but there is some weird little difference that somehow makes it easier to take a picture with my iPhone than just about anything else. And I, I don't know what that is. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure that that's, that's a, that's, probably the same for everyone and and for me like i i consider my iphone to be another camera in my tool belt so mm-hmm. like the iphone is still a perfectly valid option i think that yep. i i have some pretty specific things in mind though like when i'm thinking about like which one would i shoot with do i want to take the few seconds to grab the the um, yeah. fujifilm out of the bag or not or do i just want to shoot it on the phone um and there are probably uh I'm going to struggle to think of a good example off the top of my head, but there are occasions where I would actually prefer to shoot with the phone anyways. I, I know that that's mm-hmm. come up before where I'm like, well, I've got my, you know, uh, I have, I have my Fuji in my hand, but may, maybe it's about like, you know, you can position the iPhone in, in very difficult places where a full on camera is not going to go. And, and sometimes that matters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like for me, I think it also does, come into a little bit of of that focal length like um where like typically i'll be you know in a situation where i want to take the panorama view and i don't have a lens yet i've been looking at some lenses but i don't have a wide angle lens that is you know uh to the same degree that an iphone wide angle lens is so i think that's one of the things and then the other thing is just i I, is to that point of there is um, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit easier to, to get it into certain scenarios or situations where it's like, I'm not going to put my, I can't get my big camera in there. You know, maybe it's in a small spot or something like that, but I can get my little, I can get my phone around in there and, you know, take a quick snap. So, and that's certainly not to say that iPhones aren't photography, but I do like the power of a bigger camera with, with all the raw and the big sensor and stuff. So it'd be, you know, it'd be kind of nice if there were some mechanism, you know, to to make that the bigger camera with a big sensor, better like get, get together and capabilities a little bit more immediate to hand. But um, I don't know. It's a weird dichotomy in my brain. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll 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 leave you with this then. And this is just a humble rec- recommendation from me. But if you if you were to get it, I think you'd probably love it. It's the um, so the the Fujifilm or the Fujinon uh, XF twenty seven millimeter pancake lens. Mm-hmm. That's the default lens for me on my Fujifilm uh, X series. So if I don't know what I'm going to be shooting, or if I if I'm only going to take one lens with me, that'll be the lens. And since it's a crop sensor, you're pretty close to about a thirty five millimeter shot, anyways, with the twenty five millimeter lens. But that lens is really thin. 
And it just sort of feels like this sort of classic camera feel. <laughs> it's not too much. It's not that conspicuous. Con conspicuous. It's fun. Um, and I find that when I have that on, that's the one where, you know, again, like if I'm just in, I'm with people or I'm kind of mm -hmm. out and about shooting and it's not like a specific shot. Like, it's not like, okay, I'm not trying to shoot architecture or I'm not trying to shoot necessarily right. like some beautiful portrait or something that's like super far away. I just want to like nice snapshots that lens every single time. And the thing is <laughs> I let somebody borrow it recently because I was trying to get them to understand my point about this lens. And since they borrowed it, they've, they've still got it. Uh, oh, and no. <laughs> So, which is fine, you know, that's the whole point of letting them borrow it. <laughs> yes, but every time I don't have that lens on, I miss it so much. And so, like, right. you know, my alternatives at that end of the spectrum in terms of lenses, I've got like the 35 millimeter and a 14 millimeter. Uh, well, those are very, very different sort of yes. beasts altogether. The 35 millimeter prime that Fujifilm makes is just a gorgeous lens. It was the first one I ever had. It's not that big, uh, but at the same time, because of the crop sensor, you, you're always going to have to be standing further back than you think mm -hmm. you're going to need to. And, and sometimes yeah. that matters, especially indoors. You may not be able yes. to get far enough. The 27, just perfect. Uh, but it's also fairly, I'd say in terms of lenses, it's it's a, it's fairly um, on the low end of the spectrum in terms of price too. So it's pretty mm -hmm. accessible just to, to grab that one. Yeah, I I've, I've kept meaning to, 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 to actually go out and grab it. Um, so I'll definitely, I have to add it to my list. Um, but cause I've, I've looked at it a few times it's like, mm, yeah, that would be very, very handy. I like the power that you, the, the capability you have with the zooms or the longer lenses, but just as an all around, um, even the zoom that I have, I think it's an 18 to, what is it? That's an 18 to 55 or something like that. So technically it covers that 27 millimeter. Um, but that zoom is heavier. It, it requires, Again, another step in terms of making sure I'm I'm actually at 27. You know, where do I want to take my picture? And I don't know about you, but again, as I as I'm the the more I'm in this world, the more it's like the the fewer obstacles, the better to actually getting something done. Um, so it, it seems like that might be a, a good option. Yeah, it'll take your mirrorless from being something that you kind of have to have your own bag for to being something that if you just take the 27. You just throw it in whatever else you have, right? Like whatever bag you've got, and that's just what you're gonna have with you. Um, so again, like if you ever, I, I would say you could borrow mine, but one, I have no idea when I'm gonna see you in real life again. But two, someone else is borrowing it in the neighborhood right now. So at some point, I, I need to get it back. Uh, but yeah, it's I uh, when I first got it, I, I never thought that I'd fall in love with that little lens the way the way that I have. It's it's fascinating sometimes what what you will find that you you fall in love with and what you, what. You think you might, but actually don't in terms of tech. Um, so, yeah, uh, I look forward to trying it. Well, cool. We're, we're just about right at the 60-minute mark here. Uh, again, we uh, covered no topics that we plan to cover, <laughs> which, uh, which is kind of, I think, you know, we, we've taken a couple of trial runs at this already, and that's been part of the course. But um, I think I'm, I, I don't know, I had a good time chatting, uh, and I think I it feels like a good place to call it. It does. And, um, you know, maybe next time we'll, we'll, we'll boost our average by getting one of the things that we talked about on the list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good to have goals. <laughs> we try, you know, something to aspire to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Carrie. <laughs> thanks, Ash. You have a, a good week ahead. You too. <laughs> and listeners, we will uh, see you next time.
All right. Thanks for listening to I'd Rather Be Scripting.